Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Today we're going to continue the lesson I started Wednesday evening called Change or changed. Thank God we can be changed from glory to glory. We've been, we've been talking about our attitudes and thoughts ought always to be changing for the better. And now we want to talk about how we can be changed and expect to be changed by the power of God. So in the book of Acts chapter 7 verse 58, let's read these verses first. He's talking about Stephen when Stephen was martyred. And it says, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Oftentimes, when I pray for our assembly, I'll pray that each and every one of us would have a burning desire to conform to the very image of Jesus and become that for which he has apprehended us. In other words, he paid a price for us to become sons and daughters of the Most High God and he wants us to change from glory to glory, to be more like him. And that's my prayer, that we would have a burning desire, every single one of us, not to be complacent the way we are, but to change from glory to glory. And then I would also pray that if need, that there would be a manifestation of, let's say, moments like prodigal son moments. Remember the prodigal son of old, where he came to himself finally and realized that the path that he was on was a dead end. It would get him nowhere. He came to his self, came to his senses, and he came back to God. His whole life was turned around to come back to God. And I pray that way. Should there be one person here among us even today, that that person would be ministered to and convicted by the Spirit of God and come back to God. And then also I will pray for Isaiah 6 moments on Wednesday evening. And this is what I referred to. Isaiah saw the Lord high, lifted up and full of glory. And the impact was remarkable. He saw him full of glory. He saw him holy. He heard the angels crying out holy and so on. And as a result, what took place in his life? He too, when he saw the Lord with clarity, was convicted and then cleansed by the coal from off the sacrifice uh, of the altar of sacrifice. And then he was commissioned to go forth. So in other words, by this contact with God, there was a definite change that took place in his life for the better. His thoughts, his attitudes all changed for the better as a result of that personal experience that he had. Well, then also, finally, I also pray that we would have what is called Damascus Road Experiences. And this is where the Apostle Paul, you know the story, had contact with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And we're going to talk about that today. And his life was completely changed from that moment on as a result of that personal contact that he had with the Lord. You know what? His conversion is considered to be one of the most important, 
powerful conversions that has ever taken place in the realm of human experience. Because the impact his life had on the church is remarkable in impacting to us for us today. His testimony, once again, everywhere it goes, ministers to life to those that hear it. This is what Christianity is all about. I pray that we all came here today with the idea that I'm not walking out the same way I walked in to this building today. I'm going to glean some light here, something from God himself that's going to impact my life in such a powerful way so as to motivate me to change from where I'm at right now in my degree of glory to another degree of glory by the Spirit of the living God. I'm not leaving this place with a sad countenance. I'm not leaving this place uh, being victimized or having a victim mentality. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to go forward and I'm going to believe God, praise God, and live the life that He wants me to live no matter what my challenges are in this life. So this is why I selected this for today, the life of the Apostle Paul who was Saul of Tarsus. And you notice there in your notes, if this man can be changed by God, it doesn't matter who we are, where we come from, what we've done in life, the power of God can radically change any human being's life <clears throat> if he could be changed. Now, this man was a terrorist, and we're going to talk about how he went from a terrorist to an evangelist. What a remarkable change, wouldn't you agree? All right, let's look at Saul the man. First of all, he was a Greek-speaking Jewish Roman citizen who was born in Tarsus. Did you get all that? Greek-speaking Roman, Jewish Roman citizen born in Tarsus, which is the present modern-day Turkey. He was one who was highly educated. He went to a secular university. He got the best education that money could possibly buy. And he also had the privilege of sitting under Rabbi Gamaliel. And this one was renowned, where he was taught under the, as a Pharisee. And so the Pharisees, they were absolutely experts with regard to the Old Testament scriptures. He was uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a religious conservative. I mean, this man had it all together. And he was also an individual that was a zealot. He was a religious zealot. There was a fire in this man's bones that no one or nothing could possibly put out. Look at in the book of Galatians and chapter 1. For you have heard of my conversation or lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it strong language and profited in the Jews religion above many my equals in mine own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers so you can see where he was coming from he was so steeped into Judaism he wasn't just someone who was just okay just a nonchalant believer who was there practicing the Jewish faith he was completely in highly educated and he was out there making noise look in the Philippians look at what he says here though I might also have confidence in the flesh if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh I am more 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews uh, as touching the law of Pharisee notice this concerning zeal persecuting the church touching the righteousness which is in the law notice this word blameless blameless so here we have an individual the man who is someone who is steeped in his religious tradition and belief system to such a way that he did all that he could to get the best and highest education and also he was a Christian hater he hated Jesus Christ he hated the Christian religion we don't know if he ever really met Jesus when uh, he was here on earth most say he didn't have that personal contact with him but he was on a mission to destroy Christianity and he was not anywhere near considering converting from Judaism to Christianity and notice here I put a quote there for you from someone viewed his life like this he was a self-absorbed lost religious fanatic on a collision course with eternal judgment in dire need of salvation everything was about himself I I I I do not believe that Saul of Tarsus consulted the living God when he set out to destroy the work of Jesus you think that Jesus would have commissioned him or the father would have commissioned him to go and do what he was doing no but that's the man this is the man Saul of Tarsus let's look at the Saul the terrorist now as the terrorist he was the one that basically orchestrated the martyrdom of Stephen look in once again those scriptures in Acts chapter 7 verse 58 cast him out of the city stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was what? Saul. Saul of Tarsus and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying Lord Jesus receive my spirit and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice Lord lay not this sin to their charge and when he had said this he fell asleep he was the one they laid the clothes of Stephen at his feet because he was the one that orchestrated all what he was doing to try to stamp out and eradicate Christianity and he was on a mission then he also persecuted the church look at chapter 8 and verse 1 1 through 3 and Saul was consenting unto his death and at that time there was a great persecution that he spearheaded against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him as for Saul he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison to extradite them to go back and probably put them to death in Jerusalem think about this this guy is out there and you could say that he launched a fierce campaign to eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth he has no intention of becoming a Christian or serving God whatsoever and this objective what did it do it led them down the Damascus road look at Acts chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 there are three times that his testimony is recorded in the book of Acts three times you would think that would be redundant but it reveals to us just how important his conversion really is and Saul notice this yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest for what he desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue to the synagogues that if he found any of this way Christianity at that time was called the way whether they were men or women he might bring them bound into Jerusalem and he would cast them into prison 
and get them ready for probably, if not just persecution, possibly death. Look in Acts chapter 26 when he rehearsed his own conversion. I really thought with myself, I, 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 you'll see this I, I, I throughout this. I thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of, the, of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison. And having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. You talk about a campaign. You talk about a religious zealot. This individual is out there and he's going to destroy Christianity at its roots because why? It's coming against his belief system, Judaism. And he is absolutely irate. He is a man on a mission. He is fired up. And if no one else is going to do anything about it, I, 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 I. So apparently he wasn't including God, was he? He didn't say God commissioned me. Mm-mm. Now, he was breathing out, and I think this is an important point to make. I don't know about you, but you breathe in before you breathe out. You fill yourself up, and then you let it go. He was so full of this earnest desire to destroy Christ and Christianity and eradicate it from the earth. He chased down these people like convicts to bring them back. What was their problem? What was their crime that they committed? They just believed in Jesus. They believed he was raised from the dead. And as a result, he's hunting them down. He wants them dead. You talk about freedom that we enjoy here in this, this land in which we live. Thanks be to God that we can believe in Jesus and not be persecuted like that. Before I talk about his conversion, he breathed it in and he was breathing it out because it was his life's breath. It's what he lived for to destroy Christianity because he thought he was doing God a great service. Now my point I'm making is, how do you change a man? You think your situation's hard? You think your husband's going to be hard to change? Your wife's going to be hard to change? You think your child's going to be hard to change? And whoever, whatever. This guy is tough as nails. Think about it. I want to read to you. This is from Lord George Lyttelton. He lived 1709 to 1773. He was an Oxford educated scholar. Who also served with great distinction in the British Parliament. Initially he was highly skeptical of Christianity. He determined he would do a critical examination and expose of Luke's record of Paul's conversion experience. He believed he could establish that Paul's radical transformation was grounded in base motives of self-interest. He knew there had to be some rational justification for such a major alteration of Saul's life. After carefully researching the matter in a thoroughly scholarly fashion, he reversed his skeptical view having concluded that Paul's conversion was genuine. There was no reasonable explanation for the radical turnaround other than the fact that Paul actually had seen the resurrected Christ on the Damascus road. The Christian movement was founded, he therefore concluded, upon the truth that Jesus of Nazareth in fact was raised bodily from the dead. Contact. Saul's conversion. Go to back, back to Acts chapter 9 verse 3. And why am I emphasizing this? Because I believe we've come here for contact this morning. 
I believe we've come to connect with the living God this morning. We didn't come here just for religious purposes or put in our duty, just, just, just fulfill our duty in coming to church on a Sunday. I believe that we have gathered together in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we've presented ourselves to the living God and said, here I am, meet me, I surrender my all to you, touch me, contact me, manifest yourself to me. As he journeyed, now remember, he's got papers in his hands. He's got the authority of the uh, high priest behind him. He's probably got the temple police with him. And he is on a mission. He is zealous to do what he's about to do. Go into every synagogue and all of Damascus, anywhere and everywhere he could possibly go to find anyone of that way. And he's going to bring them back, put them in jail, and have them killed. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. suddenly. Oh, thank God for the suddenlies that we encounter in life. Suddenly, there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Whenever you hear Saul, Saul, that's being reprimanded. Reprimanded. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice that Jesus took the persecution of the church personal. He says, you're doing it to me. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city. And then, of course, you know the story from there. He went into the city. He was blind for three days. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. Ananias came in. He was sent by the Lord to go to talk to him and lay hands on him. He received the Holy Ghost. He received his sight and he was commissioned. But there are four features when it comes to Saul's conversion. Four things we want to bring out so that we could help each other with regard to praying for our loved ones so that they too can see the living God and come to him. First of all and foremost we see that Paul experienced divine contact. There was that contact that he had on the Damascus Road with the person of Jesus Christ. Beloved, there are different ways we can have contact with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Obviously, all, we all would prefer that way. Once you love to wake up one day and you see a, a light that's brighter than the noonday sun appear to you in your bedroom and lights up your whole room and you look up and you see it's Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay, that's one way. But there's other, there are other ways that we can have this kind of contact with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One way is just by being here today. You can have that personal intimate contact with him as you've come to open up your heart and open up your mind and hear some things that thus saith the Lord or reading scripture or whatever. But there's that personal contact. And remember, on Wednesday night we talked about Isaiah's contact with God, his experience, and there were four features to that. He saw the Lord. Clarity. He saw him high and lifted up and full of glory. Oh, would to God we would all come and just say, I want to see you as you are. I want to see you as a holy, righteous, living, eternal God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that in the midst. He saw that. It brought clarity to his life. It brought conviction into his life. It brought cleansing into his life. And then a commission as he went out. 
And here we see the same thing happening, which is why I pray that we all would have, respectively, whatever our need might be, this Damascus Road experience, that we've had some kind of contact with God. Maybe he orchestrated some circumstances and put some things together, put somebody across your path that you talked to today or called you on the phone or whatever it might be or gave you a dream or a vision or whatever it might be, but there was that personal contact with the living God as he had that contact with the living God and what did it do? It convicted him number two. So from divine contact we see divine conviction. He had conviction. Lord who are you? What will you have? What's going on? What do you want me to do? When you see him high and lifted up. When we see him in all his glory. When we see him brighter than the noonday sun. And we recognize he is who he said he was and is. It does something to us. And we should have contact with him even here this morning to where I say, oh, if I'm not convicted of something, then either I'm perfect or he's not showing up. So you didn't come for me to tickle your ears and say everything is a hunky-dory and everything's 100% and, and all that. Did you come to be challenged this morning? I know I did. And I want to grow in God. I want to continue to grow in God and be more like him every day. So then it brought conviction but then for, from divine conviction, it brought what? Divine con conversion. This was a true, bona fide, legitimate conversion. He didn't just go somewhere and just say, oh, this is wonderful. All oh, this is nice. I'll just sit here and say a little sinner's prayer. Everything's going to be okay with me and go back and do the things that he did before. I'll tell you what, when he saw the living God, he had that contact. He had that conviction. And then he had a conversion. I'm telling you, he was changed from the inside out. No wonder he could say, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation that never before existed. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. On the inside, he had the life of God, the nature of God, the divine ability of God. He, he became the temple of the living God. He knew that on the inside. And the fourth thing was divine commission. And just like Isaiah, he went forth. And when Ananias was told to go there and pray for him, Ananias said, Lord, we heard about this guy we know how ruthless he is he's killing us he's killing Christians he's destroying the work of the church and Jesus said not enough said he is a, a tool in my hand a vessel that I'm going to use to reach the world with the truth of my resurrection so you go you pray for him lay hands on him and leave the change up to me I'll change him from the inside out and he changed him from the inside out hallelujah uh, then Look at uh, next, number four. He became, Paul, the evangelist. Think about it. Saul, the terrorist, becomes Paul, the evangelist. I don't know what you were. I was a mill crane operator before I knew Jesus. And then I found Jesus, and he transformed my life. He made me, as Paul said, what I am today. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I had nothing to do with it except for except uh, his invitation to become his son. Acts chapter 9 verses 26 and 27. There's not time to read all about his conversion. But he gave his heart to the Lord. He was baptized in, in the Holy Ghost. He was baptized in water. And then he began to proclaim Jesus. But look at this. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. 
and believed not that he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Oh my desires when we walk from this church service I've seen the Lord this morning. I have seen the Lord in my life. He's speaking directly to me today and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus. Wait a minute where did he preach boldly at? Damascus in the name not of the high priest but whose name? Jesus. Jesus. I wonder what he did with those papers that were in his hand. How about you? I wonder what he did. Did he rip those things up, throw them in the garbage and now he's on the same road. He's going to Damascus. He's there in Damascus and there he's baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And what does he do? He stands there instead of saying are you a Christian? You're a Christian. Let's throw you off in the jail. No, he says, praise God, I've seen the risen Lord. He's alive bodily from the dead. I talked with him. I saw him. I was blind. I was on the ground. I was risen up. Ananias came, laid his hands upon me. I know he's alive. I know he's Lord of all. It changed all his belief system from the past and all his, in Judaism, all that he learned. And now he knows he is the Messiah. He's the, and he's preaching in such a way that even the temple police want to arrest him and kill him. You talk about a turnaround. What a turnaround. What a conversion. He's now proclaiming the very Jesus. Look at the change in attitude. You want to talk about change in attitude? His attitude toward Christ. From one who hated him to die for him. He called himself his love slave. Paul said I am his love slave. Think about that change. Can you imagine that kind of a change? If you're praying for your child, if you're praying for your spouse, if you're praying for a family member, a friend, or whoever, and you know their heart is nails, you can't penetrate, you can't get through, and we're trying, let's not be like the Apostle Paul and just say we're going to go in there roughshod and we're going to rip them apart and get them saved because we're not going to do it. But you get in your prayer closet, you get on your face before God, and you start saying, show yourself, show yourself, show yourself to so-and-so, show up, send labors of love, orchestrate events, bring them together where they can see and know that you are Lord of all. Toward believers, he went from killing them, think about it, to loving them with a agape kind of love, with a fervent, hot-heated love. Transformation, change his attitude toward the church. Saul means destroyer. Paul means builder. He went from destroying it to building it. And I would pray that we all have that same attitude today. We've come together to build the church of the living God right here in this locality so that we can house God in a mighty way for the people in this community to see that Jesus is alive and well. Not strife, not envy, not division, but people coming together, one heart, one mind, one accord, one voice, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all until the fire of God's glory comes down. You know, the glory of God is the manifestation of His holiness. It is His holiness being made public. That's called His glory. And when people make a decision that we're going to walk in the holiness of God, you've got glory to look forward to. His attitude toward the gospel. Remember, He went from calling it heresy. They were heretics. It wasn't enough. He removed them from Jerusalem. He wanted to go and hunt them down and kill them. Now he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to the Jew and to the Greek. Think about it. It is the power of God that changes a person's life. 
In it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. His attitude toward the law had changed. His view of the law had changed. He says right now, Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. He says, I long for my countrymen to be saved. I would give myself gladly. I would lay down my life for them to be saved. But they go about seeking a righteousness that comes by the law, which they can never have. But then he talks about being saved by grace through faith. You can see an attitude change. We want people to change. We want attitudes to change. Beloved, changing anyone's attitude is very difficult. Changing our own attitude is very difficult. And the only place it's going to change is in the workshop of the Lord. When we get before him and start saying, you know what? This is not what you want for my life. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I am going to sit in your presence until you bring change into my life. I want contact. I want contact in my life with you. And then finally, four things to embrace from what we're talking about today. Number one, the gospel message is God's message not man's. You ready for this? The gospel we preach did not come from man. It came from God. What is that telling me? We need to, I wish I had a big old bullhorn and I could announce it throughout the entirety of our United States of America, in particular in the White House where they can hear that the gospel message is not man's message. It is God's message. And man does not have a right to change the message just because he wants to. If God ordained marriage the way ordained marriage should be, then you know what? Who are we to have the right to change it? If God says this is my kingdom and you, if you do that, 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 that becomes your lifestyle, you have no part in my kingdom, then guess what? That's exactly what he meant. Man didn't write it, God wrote it. If he said thou shalt not kill, then thou shalt not kill. If he said thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not steal. We did not come up with the gospel. If he says a man should love his wife as Christ loved the church, and if we're not doing it, there's something wrong with us. We have no fear of God. We're not honoring God. We've made not the right contact with God. Come and have this encounter and realize and recognize the fact that through that encounter, he can teach us how we should love our wives and how our, our, our wives should also respond to us in love as well. And the list goes on and on. But the gospel message when someone hears you must be born again and they want to criticize, they want to challenge you and say, why don't you do this and that? You could be a good person. Or go on, go on, uh, you can watch some of the TV programs like Oprah's changed her entire perspective. Now, you can get to God many different ways. It doesn't matter. It's one God. There are many ways to, to, to the Lord. No, 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 no. Just because you have a name, just because you have a platform, just because you make a lot of money, doesn't mean we can change the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you say amen? amen? Man has no right to do that. Jesus said, yeah, they called them the way back then. You know why? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. If he said that, I'm banking on what he said, and let everybody else be a liar. Let God be true, and every man be a liar. There's only one way. That's narrow-minded. Well, narrow is the way, Jesus said. He's the only way to the throne of God. And whether, like I said, no matter what it is that he says in his word, he has the right to establish laws to govern our lives. Number two, conviction comes from contact with God. 
It comes by having contact with God. That's where conviction comes from. Listen, I didn't know about conviction. I was a 16, 17 year old boy. I can remember going to bed at night and I can remember just getting all of a sudden afraid. I was afraid I was lost. I was afraid I was going to go to hell. And I was crying out. I would wake up in the middle of the night with just beads of sweat just dripping down my face. And I would say, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Now wait a minute. I grew up in church. And the church I grew up in, I did all the things I was supposed to be doing. I went to church when I had to go to church. I went to church five days a week. I went to church on Sunday. Went to confession on, on Saturday night. I just did everything I was supposed to do. Then why am I lying in this bed? And why am I crying out? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I did not know anything about conviction. I didn't know I was having contact with the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that draws all men to the Father. You realize that? So the Holy Ghost was all over me. The Holy Ghost was trying to convict me. And, and then guess what? He orchestrates events. He had people come to my life and said, hey, Bill, you must be born again. Did you know that? I thought I had no idea what they're talking about. And really, I rejected it at first. I said, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. I, I do this. I've done, done this. And I've done that. Beloved, there's only one way, and it's God's way. And he kept on sending people across the path of my life until one day the light bulb went on. Hallelujah, the light bulb went on. I had contact with God. I had conviction in my soul. And conversion took place. Conversion is a result of responding to the conviction that's coming into our lives. We can have conviction this morning. But unless we respond to it, you see, there won't be conversion. But when you respond to it from your heart, there will be conversion. In other words, there will be change from the inside out. You can overcome that situation. You can rise up above it. Not by your power, but by the power of the living God who raised his son from the dead. And then conversion is, is again, responding to conviction. And remember, it's whether my conviction is to be saved. My conviction is to be the spouse God wants me to be. To be the parent God wants me to be. To be the model or the role model and the example to my children. So they can see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And also, I change the way I think about how I live. If I don't get into this book and find out what God says, look, it's my kingdom. And if you want in, then listen to what I'm saying. You don't want in? Just go ahead and live your life like you want to, Saul. Saul. Go ahead, Saul. Keep on your uh, collision course with destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of what? Death. So in other words, my view of marriage should be God's view of marriage. My view of morality should be God's view of morality. Not man's view. I can't change it. Can we see that? Amen. You're going to hear all kind of teachings out there that will tickle your ears and tell you what your flesh wants to hear. And you can live that way if you want to. But I guarantee you, God's going to have the final say. I want life. What about you? So conviction, whether relationships, the way you treat your spouse, the way you, uh, let's say, establish relationships and friends that you associate with and all that. Man, Surround yourself with believers that will help you grow in God. Because if who you hang with is who you become. I'm, I'm on it. I'll tell you. I'm telling you the truth. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And they are catchy. They'll get a hold of you. So, n then number four. No one. Everybody say no one. Is beyond God's reach. No one. Paul's conversion Ten minutes before it happened seemed impossible because he had the papers in his hands. Can you see that? It seemed impossible. Zona, 
Notice here, I'm, some of you probably wonder who's Zona. Zona's coming back to God seemed impossible. Zona was the daughter of uh, Norval Hayes, a tremendous faith preacher, still preaches the gospel. And his daughter walked away from God. And I mean, she was involved in drugs, alcohol, probably immorality, carousing the whole bit, coming home three, four o'clock in the morning, doing her own thing and all that. And it, it, he saw her and just, just unloaded on her. You're trying to destroy the ministry that God has called me to do. What are you doing? You're, you're a Christian. You've served God all your life and so on and so forth. And she just had it and she was just doing her own thing and following her own path for, of her life, for her life. And the Lord spoke to, to Norval and just said, look, it's time that you stop what you're doing and believe what you preach. Turn her over to me. Stop browbeating her and all that. And so he took that cue. He got before the Lord. He turned her over to the Lord to do what he couldn't do, which was try to get her to come back to God. You talk about contact. You talk about conversion. A conviction, then conversion. Here's what happened. She kept coming home, coming home the same way, drunk, drugged up, and all that sort of thing. And then after a few months had gone by, as he kept on saying, thank you for saving her, thank you for delivering her, thank you for helping her, I'm setting her free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He could, every single night, he would say in front of her, he would say when he go to bed at night, she would hear him praying in the other bedroom at two, three o'clock in the morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Delivered her. You set her free. She's serving you. I see her serving you, walking with you. You're the one that's doing it. All of a sudden, she came home one day, wasted. She came about two, three o'clock in the morning, lying on her bed. And as she was lying there on her bed, she opened up her eyes and she looked up. And there was a huge angel standing at the foot of her bed, looking right down at her eyeball to eyeball. And there was contact. No words had to be exchanged. She sobered up. She woke up. She looked up. She got up. And she stopped what she was doing, went off to Bible school, and helped out in the ministry. You see the point? You can't do it. I can't do it. But God needs a highway made for him to do it. And that highway is made when we're on our knees and we confess the word over our children. We confess the word over our loved ones. And we say, I'm going to do what you want done. And I believe only you can do it. Only God, Jesus, could have changed Saul to Paul is the point. And only God's presence in contact with Zonah can bring her back to God. You talk about a prodigal son moment. Jehoshaphat was the same thing. And here's what I love about the word of God. It's so consistent. He said, look, we can't do anything here, but my eyes are on you. What's he looking to him for? Contact. Contact. She had contact. She had conviction. She had conversion. She changed. She came back like the prodigal son and she's serving God. Commission. She's commissioned. She's going forth like Paul and the others. What's our situation? Did you notice this? And if you go back and read some of those scriptures that we used this morning, two words stand out. Saul was this way, but God. Everybody say, but God. It seems like my situation is impossible, but God. It seemed like Zona would never come back to Jesus, but God. It seemed like Jehoshaphat and the, and the people of Judah were going under, but God. It seems like our finances are just never going to come through, but God. It seems like as though, my goodness, I don't know which way to turn. I don't know how any direction. I don't know what to do with my life. But what? 
but God, but God, but God, I was lost, but God, I was lost, I was on my way to destruction, but God, God showed up, praise God, but God, that's why we're here today, for God to show up, and as we worship right now, don't, this is, this, don't detach yourself this morning right here, sit there as a matter of fact, because I believe as we begin to minister, but God, God's speaking to your hearts right now about certain situations and you got this thing going in your head like it's impossible, it's never going to happen. Instead of listening to that, instead of promoting that, start listening, but God, but God, but God, but if God to take Saul, could take Saul and make him Paul, a terrorist and make him an evangelist, what can he do for all of us? Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.